Amen. Well, hey, can you guys welcome Sean again for being here with us? Thanks for leading, Sean. Such a joy to have you and, and your wife, Kara, with us, too. Um, so if you uh, are new, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, uh, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who love God and who love people. And part of how we do that is, is regularly as we gather together uh, on a Sunday morning is we, we get into God's Word, uh, and we're going through a series right now in 2 Corinthians called Endure, Finding Strength and Courage in Weakness. And this is the second to last sermon in the series. We've been working through this for almost 20 weeks now. And so if you have your Bibles, and I, I hope you do, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And when I say, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, for the first time in pastoral ministry. I, I've been on staff now for almost 10 years, been leading uh, this church now for uh, about seven and a half. For the first time ever, I didn't bring my Bible <laughs> to church today. Uh, and I've had literally hundreds and hundreds of dreams in the last decade about showing up with blank pages and, and like, you know, not having anything. And so the printer worked. Um, but yeah, my, my Bible's at home. And so we're going to trust on faith that the Bibles we hand out to you for free have all the same words in them. Um, so super excited to, to preach from this. And if you need one, that's uh, our gift to you. And so um, we are in this section um, where Paul's talking about strength and weakness. And so just another confession for you is as we look at a verse about Paul having a thorn in the flesh, and I'm praying throughout the week about, hey, I could use some good sermon illustrations for this, but, but you know, maybe somebody else is suffering. I know other people that are suffering. And then I went for a, a run yesterday morning, which I, I do nearly every Saturday, finished the run, and, and my back was thrown out so bad that I, I like nearly hopped back to my car, went to the chiropractor, I was on ice most of the day yesterday, and, and I'm still like wincing and gimpy. So if at some point I just let out a shriek, um, you know, like an 11-year-old girl watching a scared movie, like, that's part of what's happening today. It's not like a fake sermon illustration. It's like this is what's, what's going on. So all locked up. So um, let's, let's get into what we're going to talk about today. Who do you follow? And, and why do you follow them? And the reason I ask this is because I, I think that if you're going to follow someone, you're going to learn from someone, um, you know, you ask kind of what type of person they're going to be. And so you, you follow different people for different reasons. And so like specifically, right, if you, if you are, uh, want a personal trainer, what do you want that personal trainer to, to look like? You want to be jacked, right? Like, like you, know, you don't want the personal trainer that's like just, you know, hey, I've never been to the gym before. Like you want to be like, yeah, I want to look like you. You know, like even sometimes there's a comedian who's like, you know, hey, I just want to be the before pictures of people on those commercials, right? You know, and so you want to, you want to follow somebody who, who looks like they know what they're doing, right? If you've got a spiritual leader, you want them to be enlightened. If you are in business and you want to get coached by somebody, do you want them to have a bunch of failed businesses? If you're like, hey, my marriage is in a tough spot, I'll go get counseling from the guy that's been married five times because he's got a lot of experience, right? Right? No, right? Like, oh yeah, that person, yeah, I want to hire them to run my campaign. Uh, do, do their candidates win? No. Like, no, you, we want credentials. We want success. We want people to do well. And, and, and that's even if we're curious enough to think we need help. I think most of the time we just follow ourselves. And we become the experts about whatever we want uh, in our subject matter and whatever that is. And so we get impressed with ourselves very easily. And, and we've been looking in this big theme over 2 Corinthians that this is not a path that's going to lead you to glory and contentment to be too pleased with yourself. And so 
As this sermon series draws close, this is kind of the, the second to last one. This text that we're going to look at today is kind of the overarching text that gives us context for the entire rest of the, the book and the series on how we endure. And so we're going to see that central to this letter that Paul writes to this church is about this paradox of how we gain strength from our weakness, how we have courage and strength in the midst of weakness and fear. And so as Paul wrote to this church and he spent all of chapter 11, uh, uh, Matt Nickel preached that last week. And here's what's funny, actually. Uh, he didn't want you to know this, but I'm going to tell you. Um, Matt's notes didn't print last week. So last week, Matt pre- preaches without notes. This week, I'm preaching without a, a Bible. Next week, we'll just get up here and see if we have a word from the Lord and see what happens. Um, and so uh, anyway, Matt preached, did an amazing job with no notes, but, but talking about Paul's credentials for ministry in which he's just talking about, yeah, I got beat up here. I got shipwrecked here. Oh, by the way, yeah, I, I do have um, the, the right um, lineage. I've got the right education. I've got all that. But, but what I want you to know is that my qualifications for leadership, why you should listen to what I'm saying and follow my preaching and teaching is not because I'm so amazing, but is in fact because I have suffered greatly. And just so we don't get this idea that Paul's like, you should follow me because I'm the best at endurance. He ends with this story where he just looks like a fool, where there's a crowd of people in Damascus that just want to see Paul destroyed. And he gets emptied down, or rather, rather lowered down this wall in a basket, a place of humiliation, vulnerability. You better hope the gal that weaved that basket together back then did a good job, right? If you're going to put your body in that. And he gets lowered down and he says, you know, hey, my biggest credential actually is vulnerability, is reliance, not on self, but on the God who carries us and sustains us. And so that didn't, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, you know, you want to hear about Paul's ministry. You're like, wait, what, what do you mean? You had big opposition. Didn't you out-debate them? Didn't you take ground? Didn't you just plant some more churches there? He goes, no, I just ran scared at night with a few people lowering me down the wall. That doesn't look like victory. It looks like defeat. It doesn't look like taking ground. It looks like retreat. And so how how do we grow from that? Well, it's it's because we're going to realize that our our endurance is is in reliance on the Lord, and that's our ultimate path to victory. And so as Christians, if if you claim Jesus, you need to have some understanding of the Christian life where we experience strength through weakness. And so please turn your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to turn this Bible to that and hope that the words are the same. Um, And I'm going to start with verses 1 through 7, and we'll talk about it. Paul says this. This is right after talking about the story of being lowered down. He says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it, I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Sounds exciting. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not but boast, except in my weakness. Spoiler alert, it was Paul the whole time. Okay, verse 6. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. 
so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. And so right after Paul talks about being lowered in humiliation, he, he, he pivots, he shifts, he transitions and talks about being, yeah, he's been vulnerable, he's been humble just to survive. Now he's talking about being carried up into glory. Actually being given a vision of paradise. Actually experiencing perfect communion with God. That is the opposite of fleeing. I mean, I don't want to retreat from that. I want to stay there forever. And so, I mean, Paul's saying this to this Corinthian church because they've been following all these big grandiose teachers. They're like, yep, I got this podcaster I like. No, I got this guy on talk radio I like. Man, they, they go to battle for the culture. Not you here in the church. And, 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 oh, I got this super charismatic guy. He's, he's seen a vision from the Lord. All you do is just keep reading the Bible. And, and, and Paul goes, okay, you want visions? You want revelations? You want, you want an experience from the Lord? I don't want to do this, but I need to do this. He says, he's going to pull out his, his ace in the hole, his trump card, so to speak. He's going to lay it down and says, let me tell you what I've experienced. Because none of the other Preachers, teachers, podcasters have anything on this. And he goes, and I don't want to tell you about it because I don't want you to even think it's the most important part of my ministry. I don't want you to think this is what qualifies me, but because you're being led astray, I'm going to let you know. And so he says, I know a guy, and that guy's me, who 14 years ago had this vision of paradise. And what I, what I love about this is, is you know, a lot of us, uh, if you kind of grown up in certain church traditions, you look at, and we look at the writings of Paul. We love these letters that he wrote to the church, and we love their theological clarity. And we get great things like the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of God's sovereignty over salvation, and all these things. And we're like, yeah, we love the doctrine of Paul. And so we think that Paul is somehow just this cold, quiet, stoic scholar who just spits out biblical truth. And yet we forget that Paul's ministry was started, continued, and endured by just visions and revelation that if somebody said that they experienced, you'd say they were nuts. I mean, literally, Paul, Paul's ministry began as he's on his way to go kill Christians on, on the road, and he's going to Damascus, and he's met by what? A vision of Jesus knocks him off his horse, humbles him, transforms him, commissions him for mission. Later, you can read that he was led by a vision to go on a missionary journey to Macedonia, so you're like, hey, why, why are you going to go plant churches over there? I got a vision from the Lord. Cool, and? No, no, that was it. As he goes to Corinth to plant this church, and he's feeling alone and isolated. We read this at the beginning of the series, that he had a vision where, whereas he's just feeling discouraged and defeated. He gets a literal word from the Lord. You see it in red letter in your Bible, that this is from Jesus. It says, hey, Paul, don't stop preaching. In fact, you're going to be fruitful in ministry. Oh, because you're such a great preacher? Oh, because your church is so awesome? No, no, no. Because I have people in this city, and they need to hear about the truth and mercy and grace of Jesus, and you're going to be the vessel that's going to do that, or your church or somebody else is going to be doing that. So keep going. And he's encouraged uh, to do that. If you read Galatians, he talks about receiving 
some of that doctrine through Revelation. And so now we're hearing about him being caught up to the third heaven, an experience of paradise so great and grand. He says things can't even be speaking of. And so for those of us that are theologically in a reformed camp, I want to just challenge you, Paul's a hyper-charismatic, okay? Led by visions from the Lord. And he says this, I was carried up to the third heaven. And now if you come in, you have no experience around the Bible, uh, that's okay. And you're wondering, what, what does this mean? Does this mean there's different levels? Like, how much do I have to give to get in the varsity level? Like, I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll find out. Um, right now, there's not different levels of heaven. Now, in that time, there was extra biblical writings that rabbis had about a seventh heaven. You might also remember the WB show from the late 90s, starring Justin Timberlake's wife, right? Okay, anyone? No? What I love about that, my kids watched it, and they're like, Dad, his sermons are terrible. I'm like, yes. Okay, good, good, good. But the concept that they're actually talking about was, was known to the people around them. Uh, that the, the church would have understood third heaven, because they ha- would think about uh, the world as kind of three heavens. One is just where we are, where we dwell. Second would be the sky, right? Birds, you know, the air, clouds, all that stuff. And a reference to the third heaven was that dwelling place of God. What we think about as paradise, what we think about as eternity with God, what we think about as, as heaven. And so he, they knew exactly what he was saying. And so he's telling them in, in euphemistic terms, I have seen and experienced ultimate paradise with God while, while, I'm, while we're all living in what's temporary and transient. I have seen what is eternal and what is enduring. So you want, you want revelation? I've seen how history ends. And so they're saying, you should, you should, you should listen to what he has to say. And so what's, what's amazing about this is like, why hasn't Paul mentioned this before? Right? I mean, you read through Romans, you read through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, right? Uh, Colossians, 1st, um, 2nd uh, Timothy, right? Uh, you know, they think maybe Paul wrote some of Hebrews as well, right? Like, what do, what do you, why, why haven't you led with this, Paul? Especially if you're the Corinthian church, you're like, Paul, you've talked to us about communion. You've talked to us about sexuality. You did two sermons on giving. You've talked to us about all sorts of other things, marriage. You talked about head coverings one time. Like, you didn't tell us about heaven. Like, that would have been, like, you should have led with that, Paul. And he's like, well, no, no, no. We all want to know about heaven. We all want to know about forever. And we don't want to engage in what's going on right now. Right? You know the phrase, too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good? And so Paul's saying, yeah, yeah, no, you're going to get to heaven. Like, the book ends really well. I, I mean, I, I was with a, a meeting of a bunch of church leaders uh, in one of the networks we're a part of, and there's some older pastors with some congregations that were just, they, they, were, they were just older as a congregation, and, and we're talking about kind of the next phase of mission, and he just goes, hey, what do I do for, for the people in my church who, um, you know, grew up, raised their kids, and thought, we're gonna, we're gonna change culture, we're gonna, we're gonna make the Great Commission happen, we're gonna transform the world, and now they're just seeing where we're at now and they're just feeling defeated. And I wanted to scream out. I'm, I'm new to this group, so I just kind of kept my mouth shut, believe it or not. And, and, and I just wanted to scream out, tell them how the book ends. Jesus wins. If, if it looks like defeat, it means the story's not over yet. And so, like, why has Paul not led with this? By the way, guys, BT-dub, I've seen heaven. And so it, 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 that would be like an amazing way to start a uh, church. Hey, come on Sunday. I'm going to tell you about heaven. It's amazing. 
And everybody, yeah, this is great. You know, they get all fired up. He's established himself as the preeminent prophet in the world. But he doesn't do that. In fact, even right here, we get like no details of heaven. He just says, it's so great, I can't tell you about it. He said, we're not even, we're not even supposed to, to utter it. And then he just moves on. I mean, are, are, you, are you kidding me? Like, like he doesn't, like, come on, tell us, give us some details, Paul. And so he doesn't talk about it because he doesn't want it to be a distraction from what he says his primary mission and message is. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. How we live lives in response. How we're made new now and how we have hope for eternity. And so what's amazing, right, is, is you don't see Paul starting his letters or even peppering them with Paul, visitor to heaven and visionary of eternity. And what do you see Paul when he talks about himself? Yeah, there's times he says apostle, appointed by Christ. So there's some authoritative language there. But often you see Paul say, slave to Jesus, servant of Christ, chief of sinners, right? Paul's Twitter handle, the bio says, chief of sinners, pronouns he, him, right? No one? Okay, nobody's on Twitter. That's good. It's good for your emotional health. Stay off Twitter, okay? And so... He says that in addition to getting this amazing vision, that something else happened to him and he starts to endure this thorn. So he's given this glimpse of inexplicable glory, experiencing something true uh, is uniquely a, a gift and it should be cherished, right? I mean, this is, this is a gift that Paul was given to see this. I think part of our weakness is that when we experience blessing in some way, shape, or form, we begin to get prideful and conceited about it. Like somehow we did something to, to earn that. Or yeah, I mean, of course I got blessed this way. I mean, I do all the right things. I show up on time. I'm faithful, right? Everything and everyone else to Paul, if, if he, if he had, had had this experience, I mean, imagine you've gone to heaven and he says, I don't know if it was in the body or I don't know if it was like downloaded from the matrix. Like I just, I just, I saw it. And then he's like, imagine you're Paul how difficult would walking around Macedonia be after that? Right? You, you, you go on a vacation to Hawaii and then you fly into Seattle and it's always rainy. Like how hard is that transition? Now imagine you've seen the, the eternal glory of God and his people together in paradise. Paul says it's paradise. That means it's good. And now he's getting beat up, shipwrecked, planting churches, there's difficulty in the churches. Sometimes there's a vision. Sometimes there's a discouragement, right? How easy would it be for Paul to be, oh, this is not even close to heaven. How, how insufferable would Paul be at a dinner party when somebody's like, oh my gosh, isn't this brisket heaven? And Paul's like, well, let me tell you, actually. It's, uh, it's, no, it's not. It's good. Not heaven good. Right? I mean, he would just be puffed up and conceited. Right? You would be too. I would be too. And so... Everything else in life would seem insignificant and unsatisfying. You'd always be looking down in disgust, constantly talking or sharing about how great it is. And so when we have experiences of glory, when we have good days, when we have victories, man, sometimes um, we need to enjoy that. Yes, like enjoy the wins. But don't be insufferable or unempathetic to those of us who've gone a lot of days without a win or have gone through hard and difficult seasons where just the trajectory doesn't seem better, it seems worse. Paul quickly pivots from vision of glory 
talking about paradise to talking about his profound suffering and the purpose it has. He says it twice in verse 7, at the very beginning, to keep from being conceited, and at the end, to keep from being conceited. He says he was given this gift of this thorn in the flesh to harass him. Uh, I mean, I love that imagery. Any, I mean, anybody like thorns? Anybody a thorn fan? No, you, you get one, you know, you're gardening, whatever, like, you know, it gets stuck in you, and it's just that irritation. I mean, and that's, that's, I mean, I've experienced now like 20 hours of pain in my back. Paul's at 14 years. And he says like, it's, it's in his flesh. So it could be like a physical ailment. He also says it's a messenger of Satan. Pretty sure he sends emails, right? With attachments. Um, and so, right, he gets the messenger from Satan and he just says this harassment. The other word can mean torment. It's low grade, consistent state of suck is where Paul's at. And it doesn't go away. And he's just enduring it. All the while thinking, I've been to heaven. I've experienced paradise. I'm putting my life out on the line to plant churches here. I'm trying to see people meet Jesus. And he's getting his teeth kicked in. And in addition to that, he's got this pain, whether it's, and why I love that they don't tell you what it is. Right? Because maybe you'd be prideful and say, Paul, you can endure that. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual. It might just be like challenges with the Corinthian church or other churches, right? He says earlier in chapter 11 that he's brought to tears by, the, by thinking about all the churches on a regular basis. And so Paul doesn't emphasize what we'd like to hear or what we need to know. Like when you, when you love it, like, Paul, give us a detailed description of the suffering. No, he just skips right, not to what we want to know, but what we need to know. He says the suffering is not purposeless. The suffering is actually so that I will not become conceited. And so it keeps him humble. It keeps him from exalting himself. And so while I want to be clear, we should never desire or go seek out suffering. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, suffering is actually a gift from God given to us so that we'll be humble. So we'll endure for the sake of greater humility. And you're like, why do you say gift from God? I mean, he said messenger from Satan. Well, the reality is, he, Paul talks about the purpose of the suffering. He says, so I won't become conceited. So, well, that's not from Satan. See, the enemy is absolutely okay with you being conceited. Because he knows that will lead to your condemnation. The enemy, the spiritual enemy, Satan, is not interested in your humility. He's only interested in your humiliation. So he wants you to keep walking in shame when you have sin. He wants you to be not brought low, but he wants you to be crushed. He wants you not to suffer. He wants you to be defeated. And so at face value, it says the thorn or the attack or afflictions from the enemy, but Paul's able to see beyond it and see it as a gift that God is using for Paul's ultimate good. And so um, while Paul's not specific about the thorn, I want you to just take a moment and ask yourself, when, where, how have you suffered through a thorn? When have you dealt with affliction or harassment or pain or torment in ways that just didn't have an easy answer? And then we get to see how are we supposed to respond or react to that? Verses 8 through 10 says this. And guys, this is like the central verses of the whole book right here. 8 through 10. 
get back to this little Bible here. Okay. 8 through 10 says this. How, how did Paul respond, right? He gets this thorn from, from the Lord, Satan harassing him. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, and maybe in your Bible it's in red letters, meaning this is a word from the Lord. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. So the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is so counterintuitive. How do we respond to suffering and discomfort? Like when you're discouraged, when you're in discomfort, when you are feeling defeated, we find ourselves, should find ourselves, wrestling with God. God, if, if it's your will, like let this cup pass from me. Like, Lord, I need your help. And in Paul's case, he's suffering and it moves him to a place of reliance on God. And what I think is so significant here is while he's so clear that it's a messenger of Satan, he doesn't say, I pleaded with Satan three times to stop. Why is that? Why is that? Like, Satan, evil, right, however you want to say it, are active and they're working in the world. They cause pain and suffering. But you cannot forget that God is the ultimate authority over everything. In, in this case, for lack of a better term, Paul's going to the manager. He's like, he's like Satan. He's like, you don't, you don't go to Satan because Satan, the enemy, you're like your enemy, if they want to see you destroyed, they want to see you discouraged, they want to see you dead, you, you, you don't go to them to appeal. You don't, you can't appease evil. You have sin in your life. You can't just feed it a little bit and hope it stays appeased. No, you need it defeated. You need to overcome. And that means you need to go to a source that's more powerful than the sin, the enemy, or the destruction that seeks to take you out. And so Paul is so wise. He goes, I'm going to go to where the power is. Yeah, i got a thorn in my flesh. Maybe that's bad circumstances. Yeah, there's some spiritual conditions that I'm, I'm wrestling with. But I know if I go to Satan... If I go to the enemy, if you go to your enemy, please, please, could you just, this is really hard, could you stop? Oh no, they know they got you. Like, never mind, I'm calling in an airstrike. I want air superiority, I want shock and awe. I want God coming in and fixing this right now. There's no appeasing, no accommodating, no appealing evil. It must be defeated. And so while you see evil and Satan at work, in this Bible, in my Bible that's at home, in any other Bible, you are not going to see Satan or evil overcome the God of the universe. In every instance you see the enemy at work, there's God behind overpowering. And you're like, ooh, what, what, what do you mean? Look at the book of Job. We don't have time to get into details right now. But, but it says that God allowed Satan to actually bring suffering to Job, not to the point of death but to a place of reliance on God and God alone. This is very difficult for us to think about, right? Because we're like, well, no, God, God's good, God's loving, and God is powerful. And so we wrestle with things like suffering. We wrestle with why do good things happen to, or why do bad things happen to good people? And we think that maybe God's disengaged or he's not involved or the evil or the enemy is winning. When in fact, 
as Paul goes on three times to plead and beg and implore, he's really following in the footsteps of Jesus who the night before he was crucified is in the garden. What does he say? Lord, Lord, Lord. If this is your will, let this cup of wrath pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus in perfect submission to the will of the Father to endure suffering, not purposeless suffering, but suffering for a purpose. That sometimes, you hold on to this, that God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God will allow what he hates at times to accomplish what he loves. His story is long and it requires patience and endurance. We see just small little snippets of it, small aspects of our life. We don't see the big picture always, but God does. And you're not alone and you're not isolated in this. When we're in suffering and pain, we should draw near to God in prayer who's ultimately able to, Ephesians says, do far more than we could ever conceive of. And so sometimes when we're in suffering, right? And Paul here, it says 14 years of, of suffering. You can begin to think, maybe God's forgotten about me. Or you know, the, the Lieutenant Dan, you know, from uh, Forrest Gump, you know, why God, you know, right? This is all, this is all you got, um, you know, in the storm on the boat. And, and we begin to, to wrestle with God. And, and we need to, to just remember that God's not distant. And, and we can begin to even question ourselves and say, well, am I just suffering because I'm in sin? And I want to be clear. There's a difference between sin and suffering. Sin will lead to suffering. So you're walking in sin. You're walking in rebellion to God. Like we respond to that by repenting, turning from sin and following what ultimately leads to life, trusting in Jesus for his perfect obedience and then walking out a new life that God has given us. Like, yeah, we repent of sin. But some suffering isn't a result of our sin. It's just something that we're enduring and it's okay and rather we should regularly appeal to God for relief. And you can appeal to God with expectation. You can expect intervention and we can be humble on how God chooses to respond. Remembering, like I said, that sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God can and does change circumstances. Do not lose hope or heart. God can change circumstances. I've seen amazing reversals, right? In, in the fall, we preached Esther, talking about just dramatic reversals of fortune. That happens, absolutely. But God also changes hearts and changes our disposition towards him in this. And so the answer that Paul receives in those red letters is, is in two parts. Number one is sufficient grace, right? Paul receives in this pleading, in this begging, another word from the Lord. All right, email from God, subject line, answering your request about the thorn, opens it up, waiting for the, okay, blah, blah, this is great. This is got, wait, what? When's the thorn gone? He doesn't say the thorn's gone. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. There are times that God responds to our appeals gently and firmly to remind us all we truly need is his grace. That is unmerited favor given to us by God. That what we truly need is 
where sin has separated us, we need reconciliation, where God and his grace is sufficient to reconcile our relationship. And it's, it's sufficient enough to move us to restoration. And what I, what I love about this, right, we read this and say, you know, my grace is sufficient. And we have a really small understanding of that word because I think somehow in our minds we turn it to adequate. Hey, my grace is enough. What more do you want from me? You're going to heaven when you die. No. The word sufficient here is a word that means bringing the fullness. Like, that means you got it all. You got all that you need. In fact, it's overflowing. It's not barely getting by grace. It's not like, well, I'll give you some grace. You need a little bit of grace right now? Like, that's fine. Other than that, you'll, you'll be fine on your own. I know this is a tough season for you, so I'll give you a little sprinkling of grace right now. It's just waterfall dumping grace on you at all times. He says, that, I'm still here. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, you're discouraged. Yeah, I don't know. He, we don't know what lies ahead. He does. I am present and I'm powerful in your life, in your circumstances right now. And so God's grace to us is, is a grace that actually like spiritually turns us from death to life. It's, it's a, a grace that bridges the gap between a perfect and just God and us as sinners. I mean, that's, that's sufficient. That's an amazing thing that God does. And so he's saying to Paul and to us, regardless of your suffering and circumstances, that does not mean you are outside of God's love and favor. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're outside of God's favor. His grace is sufficient for you. Why? Is it just an idea? Is it a concept? No, that brings us to number two, perfected power. Jesus took on weakness to deliver perfect power to us, right? How did Jesus show up? In like the weakest form imaginable, right? Christmas time, right? Baby, manger, out in the, out in the barn, right? You know, just, just, just there. Jesus had human frailties. He got tired. He got hungry. He got... He needed isolation at some point. He's like, I've had enough of people. I just need to get a break. Okay, I don't know if that's how Jesus thinks. But he went away to times of quiet solitude to recharge. Specifically, it says that, right? He went away to rest. And so without sin, he eventually endures not just a thorn in the flesh, right? What does Jesus get? He gets a crown of thorns placed on him. And he get, endures and experiences, I think, the weakest position of pain imaginable, right? Splayed out on a Roman cross. How much weaker and vulnerable can you get than just naked on a cross, wearing a crown of thorns, mocked by your opponents, forsaken by your friends, and just suffering. Eventually, having a spear put in your side and dying. Again, that doesn't look like victory. That looks like defeat. And so when he says, my power is made perfect in weakness, there's nothing weaker or more defeated than dying on a cross. He experienced indignity, isolation, pain, specifically to pay for our sins. Colossians says our debt of sin is paid by Jesus on the cross. So we see Jesus as our substitute for our sin. And he also 
died as a pathway to power. Like, wait, what? How, how does that work? Well, Jesus died for our sins, yes and amen, and we celebrate that. We remember that, actually, every week when we take communion. And Jesus rose again so that we can know that he's powerful over death. We can have new life now and forever. He's like, the, the way God's resurrection power worked was through death. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seen that. Like, what, if you, Jesus just vampired it and just like never died and just lived? I mean, that, that could be interesting, but that's not the way God says life is. He goes, no, no, life, eternal life, comes through the cross comes through suffering, comes through substitutes, as we've said many times, for the joy set before him, despising the shame. Jesus Christ endured the cross. It was for a purpose, so that he could give us grace, and so that his power would be made perfect in weakness, so that we know that no matter what's going on, we're not alone, we're not weak. Paul says, actually, when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's because he knows that Jesus is going to carry him through to the final finish. So when you felt depleted, when you felt defeated or discouraged, we get to take heart and know that Jesus wins because he's the one who's powerful. And that has a result for us today. Not just for eternity. It has a result for us today. And that's, that's endurance. And we name this series Endure. And not just endurance like, we'll make it fine. But endurance with what? Paul says here, with contentment. To endure is to like, remain uh, and, and continue through great difficulty to a greater destination. And so we need comfort in the present, courage to keep going on even in our weakness. And he says that, hey, all you need is Christ. The result of sufficient grace and perfected power are disciples us who get to boast in our weakness. Why? Not because we're the ones that are going to endure. Not because we're the ones that are strong, that we, that we recognize that we're weak, that we recognize that we're weary, and that we, we endure boasting in our weakness, and so we get to be content in all circumstances. That word content is not like, ah, I'm okay with it. No, again, it's a rich word that means, means three things. It means pleasure, delight, or even rejoicing. He said, wait, all these circumstances come? All this rough stuff comes? How am I? I'm not like, yay, hooray, suffering. He's like, no, but I, I can. All right, God's at work. Because God's promised that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it in the Lord, day of our Lord Jesus. Like, all right, I'm, I'm going to finish, not because I've got endurance. God's going to carry me through somehow. So the more difficult things get, the more reliant we become. And that gives us contentment. Because now we're in that basket of God's grace being lowered down from the wall content that he's got a plan, that he's going to make it through for us, and it's not going to be painless. The cross was not painless for Jesus, but it was ultimately a path to power and a path to life. So it doesn't mean we have to like it or desire it. In fact, we shouldn't, but we can, we can savor and even enjoy when things are good. Like, things are going well for you. Praise God. Just, just enjoy it. That's okay. Things are difficult, you can have contentment knowing that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. Calamities, critics, adversity can be a place of great reliance when we experience Christ's power resting on us despite our weakness in all circumstances. And that really does get us to the heart of the gospel. 
that we recognize that we're weak, specifically that we have sin. Our, our bodies, our souls are corrupted, imperfect. Our attitudes and actions are that of not of reverence to God, but rejection and rebellion. And despite that, God has pursued us in the person and work of Jesus Christ who has lived the perfect life we couldn't live, who's died the death we deserve, who rose again so we can have new life now and new life forever. We should never get tired of those truths. The gospel for us begins with us having a posture of humility that we need a savior, that we need salvation, that we haven't earned salvation or earned or developed strength to overcome weakness, but we've been adopted by God the Father who loves us, who's pursued us, and God the Son in Jesus Christ. He picks us up and carries us and encourages us and empowers us by the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in the places and ways that God has seen fit for us. And so we get to be people who walk in the knowledge that everything that we're going through can be and is for our growth and is for God's glory. That we're humble because we know we're weak and dependent. We're joyful because of how loved we are. We have courage because we know our strength isn't found in us, but is in one who's ultimately powerful. And so we are people that go about inviting others to experience the power of God through weakness and reliance and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because God is the one who's going to ultimately carry us. He's the one with the big enough shoulders to help us endure. And that brings us to our last text here, our last section of scripture, and kind of talking a little bit about, just, just taking a moment as a church to think about where we are now and where we hope to go. Last verses. I'll read them and we'll talk about them briefly. So he transitions from this big theological truth to this, verse 11 through 15. I've been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what way were you less favored than the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not burden you, meaning Paul wasn't paid by this church. Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I'll not be a burden... For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I not to be loved less? But granting that I myself do not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and, and you got the better of us by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent you? I, I, I urged Titus to go. I sent my brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Do we not take the same steps? Verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It's in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ. Hold on to this. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. So Paul talks about this. Theological truths, you know, strength made perfect in weakness, all these things, and then immediately transitions to church culture and what's going on with this. And in this case, for the Corinthian church, Paul's talking about a broken relationship. And by God's grace, we have experienced great reconciliation, great mercy, uh, and great joy in this season as a church. So when you read that, like, I don't read this and be like, yeah, this is us. Praise God for that. 
Not, not to be proud, but to just praise God for his grace and mercy to us. But despite the like dysfunction, what does Paul say? He says, hey, I'm, I'm still going to spend and be spent for you. The Corinthian church of all the churches in the New Testament is probably the most jacked up church there is. And Paul says, I'm willingly going to keep investing in the mission here. How much more for, for churches that by God's grace get to experience some health? We've gotten to experience some great things here in Mercy Fellowship in the past year. And the reason that Paul says he's going to keep investing is because just like us, just like him, just like me, we are beloved by God. And all of us in Christ are worthy to be built up by God. And so we don't have to worry about being empty. Spent means being emptied because we're filled with Christ. We're enriched by God. We're equipped by the Holy Spirit to be emptied, spent, and served all for the building up of people who are beloved. And so as we think about this last year, we're celebrating a year of mercy fellowship, reflecting on a year of God's mercy and grace to us. We began uh, this calendar year, kind of laying out a 10-year dream, a three-year picture, and, and a one-year plan for, for what we want to see happen. And, and, and there's a lot in that. And so um, you can find that uh, on the website. I'll share it out again this week just so you can have the, the details uh, for that. But I just wanted to share with you guys uh, some wins. In the, because, I mean, there's so many things that happened this past year. It'd be so easy to just kind of, I mean, don't, don't you want to just forget most of 2020, right? We're, we're open again. We're moving on. Like, uh, there's a lot of changes. And so we relaunched a year ago with renewed vision, values, and with a new identity that's been embraced by those in the church that we said we want to have language that's inspiring for insiders and inviting to outsiders. And... and I'm going to give you some stats, and that's not everything, right? They just tell a, a bit of the story. Last year during the summer, we were averaging about 90 people gathering with us on a Sunday. We had about 40, sorry, we had about 140 people that called Mercy Fellowship home. A year later, we're averaging 130 people on a Sunday, and we have about 200 people that call this church home. And so, I mean, if, if you're new in the last two years, would you just raise your hand? Wow. Praise God for that. We're so glad you're here. And if you've been with us, anybody more than two years? Raise your hand. Okay. We've endured. Praise God. Made it through good times and bad. And this is what's so amazing is God's sustaining grace to our church. We have uh, gotten to, uh, when we relaunched, we relaunched family style, right? Yay, family style. We're just so glad to be in the building, right? So glad to be off the screen. But, you know, hey, little kids need discipleship environments that are more appropriate for them, right? Let the, let the children come to me, says Jesus. Pastor Chris says, you need to be in that room while, while I preach, okay, right? <laughs> no. no, and so, like, we started family style in the summer. And by fall, we had Mercy Kids for, um, through kindergarten twice a month. And we were like, praise God. And, and then through the rest of the year, we've had it four weeks a month. That is awesome. Praise God for people who are serving in Mercy Kids. And, and we want to, in, in, as we move to next fall, look at maybe launching some later elementary classes. That's where we're going. Two, three years from now, we want to have classes all the way through elementary school for kids on a Sunday morning. But praise God for that progress. Five people got baptized this last year. That's amazing. That's worthy of celebration, right? Five people got baptized. 
Like babies have been born, more babies to come, right? Babies all over the place. One of our prayers was that God would would just equip us for the work of ministry. And we've seen generosity uh, grow in certain ways. And we've seen 25 different individual givers give for the first time in this last year. That's an awesome mark of discipleship. And so we, we have seen God, like I said, provide for us. We've engaged with the Pregnancy Resource Center um, in Everett. Uh, we, uh, a year ago, we had Garrett and Tori as musicians, and, uh, and then um, uh, we also uh, had some other people as well. Now we have um, an additional worship leader. That's awesome. We also said, hey, we want to we wanna bless uh, and be a blessing to other churches and, and by God's grace, about um, three weeks ago, um, we got to be part of leading a conference specifically for the spiritual health of leaders in the Seattle area. And, and a lot of pastors were blessed. For a lot of pastors, that was the first event that they had gotten to go to in the last year where they were meeting with other pastors, being encouraged, be, being stirred up. And you guys got to be a part of that. As well, just today, you know, we got Curtis Hall, uh, elder in training, preaching over at Reach, and we're blessed to have Sean Gasparetti leading worship here. And so we're seeing growth, we're seeing change. And so that's, that's awesome. And, um, but I want us to know as well, oh, we, how can I forget? We brought Matt Nickel on as an associate pastor and today we're gonna install him as an elder and that's awesome. We're excited about that. But I don't want us to think, well, wait, you just read a thing on you know, suffering and weakness and all that stuff and now you just scoreboarded, right? It hasn't been a perfect year. There's been losses. We've had two break-ins. There have been relapses. There have been miscarriages. There's been cancer diagnoses received. There's been division at times. There's been slander endured. We've said goodbye to people going to foreign countries like Iraq and Idaho. And we, <laughs> there we go. Just want to know if you guys are still listening. Okay. And, and, and we know as this year goes on that at least two or three other families are going to be moving on for, for really good reasons, moving to other parts of the country or other parts of the state doesn't mean it's any less sad, but God's always changing and reshaping his church. And so we said our word for this year is remain. Apparently the people who are moving didn't get that memo. Okay. No, we love you guys. But we said we want to remain steadfast. While culture is shifting and everything else is spreading away, we're going to hold truth to the gospel. We said we want to remain equipped, and that means we need to continue cheerful, regular, sacrificial giving. And we said most of all, we want to remain joyful. And so numerically, we're going to see it as a win if we look like the same church at the end of 2021 that we did at the beginning of 2021. And that means inviting your friends. That means in, it, telling, encouraging your neighbors and coworkers and families to, to come hear about the gospel, to be part of the church, to, to engage and all that. And so there's, we know that we're going to endure. And part of that comes from, from risking transformation. It wasn't an easy thing to say, let's relaunch and replant as Mercy Fellowship. But we felt that the risk of transformation was better than the certainty of stagnation. And so God has just blessed us in this past year and we're so excited for the road ahead that our power to endure doesn't come from our weakness or in earning our strength, but in Christ, we have courage and comfort to endure, knowing that it's in our weakness where we're relying on him that we're truly strong, that Christ has given us courage in our weakness so that we can endure to a glorious finish when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.